the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. This is A State of Control, episode number one, Save As, The Pilot, recorded Wednesday, February 13th, 2013. Welcome to the pilot episode of the AV Nation show about control programming. It's called A State of Control. Thanks to Mr. Fergoza for the fabulous name there. Uh, who also is on the line. His name is Rich Fergoza. He is from FergozaDesign.com, Fergoza Design in sunny California. How are you, brother? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Uncle Richie gets to do a pilot program. I, I'm, hey. I'm, I feel very good about this. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have some, some longtime friends on as well. Tell you what, this, this room is full of room. It's Skype. It, this Skype is full of people smarter than I will ever be. So I'm just going to sit back and listen. Uh, one of the other people that's smarter than me is Steve Greenblatt, the president and el foundere of Control Concepts. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? This is a great uh, opportunity. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Uh, also with us is David Barnett, uh, the senior con- a senior consultant uh, at the Sexton Group. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. And last but not least, Mark Lavecchia, the president of BMA Software Solutions. How are you, sir? Very well. Thanks for uh, having me on. Certainly. Uh, so here's what we're going to do, guys. The, the world of control. Control is kind of the, the third leg of AV, right? When you go to Infocom or, or Cedia every year, you've got three or four roughly um, areas. You've got lighting, you've got sound, you've got video, and you have control. And whether you're talking about AMX, Crestron, Extron, Control 4, what have you, You've got areas where people can do automation and, and other areas of control. And so that's why we, we thought that it would be a good idea to dedicate a, a monthly show to this. Uh, what I wanted to do, though, is, is take a moment and kind of go around the horn for you guys to explain where you are in the world of control. Whether you guys are, you know, you're, none of us are art manufacturers here, so let's start there so we don't have any, any uh, Crestron or AMX uh, reps or, or salespeople. Not that there's anything wrong with them. I have lots of friends who are that. But uh, we wanted to kind of be a little more agnostic. And so just kind of give us a brief background of who you are, where you're from, and, 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 and where do you relate in the world of control. Steve, we're going to start with you. You are the president of, of Control Concepts. So what exactly, what, what is your take on the world of control in AV? Well, I uh, started out actually my career working for Crestron uh, at doing programming there uh, almost 20 years ago. And uh, at that time, control was really in its infancy. Uh, um, I recall back that doing a project with a touch panel was considered a real complicated project. And I think we've come a long way since then. And uh, um, I, I spent uh, a few years at Crestron and at the, at the time there seemed to be a enough of a demand for programming that I took the opportunity to start a company and uh, do independent programming, which has now become a real mainstream industry. And uh, the, the demand for programming continues to grow. And I think that the supply 
uh, continues to, to trail, and uh, which is a good thing. But it's uh, you know the 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 evolution and the and the the challenges uh, continue to be there, and and I think that the opportunities to make control a a showpiece uh, continue to exist, which which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I agree with that. The one thing that, that's kind of frustrating, I think, sometimes I'm an end user. All right, that's that's where I live at, guys. I, I work for a small community college. I'm kind of the the end user slash. I, I program out of, out of necessity sometimes, you know, to switch out a DVD player. Sometimes the lag is is a little frustrating, though, Steve. Um, David, you're you're a consultant with with the Sexton Group. So where do you live in the world of of control and AV? Okay, well, I am a consultant now. I'm going to just give you a little background. Uh, my first job out of college was actually doing control systems, but nothing at all to do with AV. It was for industrial machinery, and we're using ladder logic. And these were big, big machines, loud, noisy, and very dangerous. And if something went wrong, if your code wasn't good, you know, people could get hurt. So the, the concept of, of control, of getting proper feedback and all that was kind of instilled me before I ever saw an AV system. Uh, I worked for, uh, when, when I got into AV after grad school, I uh, worked for an integrator for a number of, of years uh, doing some, some light programming where, and, and now I'm a consultant, so I don't do, I don't actually do anything. Um, <laughs> but what, uh, what I've seen as, as the evolution is, is when I first started in the, in the late 90s, you know, control system an AV control system was basically a glorified remote control. You, know, you press the button and it spit out an, uh, either an IR or RS-232 command and, and then the device did something. So it's really re- remote actuation as much as, uh, as much so or even more so than uh, what I would consider an actual control system, uh, which, which, which does require feedback by definition. And what we've seen is, is over the last... Um, you know, decade and a half is, is this evolution from kind of a rudimentary hacked together, you know, glorified garage door opener or button panel to what, what, what is really, by any definition, uh, a, a modern control system where, where you are talking, we've, we've got network stuff now, we've got databases, we're tying into other systems. Uh, and, and the user interfaces, of course, have, have gotten both more, more complex uh, on one side, because we're doing a lot more, we're getting a lot more feedback. On the other hand, we've got influences from things like, you know, Apple, iPhone, iPad, which is a very, uh, so the, the expectations of, of, of a simple, easy-to-use, intuitive interface that doesn't require a manual or training uh, has also happened at the same time. So, so we're left in a situation where we're trying to do a lot more, but make it ever easier and more accessible than it ever has been, so that anyone can walk into any room, use any system, regardless of the complexity of it, and, and has this expectation that they can instantly uh, know and understand how to do everything. And that's 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 the, I think the challenge that we're the biggest challenge that we're facing right now. Well, and some of that, that expectation though has been has been born out of out of what we do, right? What what do you guys do? Is you know twenty thirty years ago it was relays and and simple control, and now with IP and feedback and all this stuff, some of the expectation has been built, <laughs> has been created by the control industry, hasn't? don't you think? Um, it, to, to a certain extent, yes, but I think the bigger, uh, uh, that, that is certainly true, as the technology has, has improved, we've incorporated more and more of that into the systems. 
but a lot a big driver you know from the control system especially from from the user interface side not not so much what's behind the scenes so the user interface side is everyone's got an iPhone in their pocket yeah. and that's become uh, you know or or, equivalent, or Android equivalent whatever it is but that's kind of become the the de facto standard so w when we present now uh, a touch panel which 10 years ago was like ooh fancy touch panel now I like, what do you mean it doesn't have multi-touch? What do you mean I can't swipe? <laughs> Why isn't the screen rotating? Why can't I zoom in? You know, all that stuff has just become uh, assumed by, by your average end user. And I think the control system, the AV control system industry is, you know, kind of just barely starting to catch up with, with those trends. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mark, you are the, uh, the president of BMA Software Solutions. Where, where do you guys live when it comes to control in AV? Uh, you know, we live in the commercial world um, because that's really where I, I earned my chops. I and mean, I've been in this business for over 20 years. I actually got started at a projector manufacturer in uh, Titusville, Florida, called Ampro. And if you know who Ampro is, then you've been around a long time, too. Um, I'm but, sure that Rich sold them at one point, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we have, Mark and I have several stories. See, I told you. Sure. But it, I... I you know, I cut my chops at, at Ampro uh, years ago, and since then it moved um, through the business from the commercial standpoint. Uh, it worked at uh, Hughes JVC for a while, Stuart Film Screen, uh, before joining Crestron. I was, for lack of a better phrase, probably the, the Paris Hilton of our business. I've been with everybody for a little while. Um, wow. And, and ultimately about... Uh, Back about 18, 19 years ago, was uh, picked up by Crestron to open up their West Coast offices here in Southern California in Cyprus. It was their first uh, stab at opening up a remote office out here. Uh, and so I was uh, partnered up with a, a guy named Barry Coons, who was the smart one. I was the sales guy. And uh, what it did was it gave me a front row seat to control systems, where prior to that, my only experience was learning at CES that if you're setting up at CES, and there's a control system, that's the person who's going to be working through the night to make sure you're ready when the show opens the next day. Yeah. And, and that became the truth. Um, all systems, as we, I learned, uh, became the, 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 the afterthought, the last thing that, you know, the last person that turned the lights out, still the thing today. Uh, and that's coupled with something that uh, David was mentioning, which is we, Steve's heard me mention this many times before. Many people don't understand why we're still there. They don't understand. They just why can't we just down go to iTunes, download the Make My Room Work app, <laughs> and everything suddenly works. We can do it with everything else. And so uh, my my position from the control system is, is I'm not a programmer. I, I do uh, I do the GUIs, I do the front end uh, submittals and stuff. But I mostly uh, and I think one of the reasons we're managed to be successful for the last nine years is a lot of what I do is the upfront work scheduling getting sign off on functionality before everything else goes on, that type of thing, all the things that causes a control system to go sideways because many people leave it stand. Very good. Uh, Mr. Fergoza, you are no stranger to me, at least. Uh, you've been around this business for 20, 30 years. Uh, give people a background of, of where you came from and where you are now. Yeah, this is uh, coming up on 22, 23 years in the industry. I uh, broke in fresh out of school and... Uh, I, I kind of call myself the accidental programmer. I'm, I'm almost like the Swiss army knife of uh, residential AV in terms of my career. Um, started a high-end audio boutique, um, built their custom division, 
really not knowing what I was doing, uh, segued that into uh, becoming an integrator with that integrator in the early 90s. Uh, decided that we wanted to get into automation. Crestron wound up being it. Um, had an instance where originally I was kind of on the front end side of the sales and the design and my we had a very large project and through unforeseen circumstances my programmer uh, had to leave the company and we had two weeks to get the job done so for two weeks I locked myself in my office and taught myself how to program Crestron wow. uh, and and so the story goes uh, and since then um, Automation has always been the back end and kind of the theme of what we do. I'm obviously, as opposed to the other guys, I come from the residential side almost exclusively. That's uh, really what I, I'm a proponent and an acolyte and a fan of. And we've talked on the podcast many times. I've really focused on that side of the industry and, and really how it can enhance and streamline and simplify and just make people's lives cool. Um, and went from that into being a consultant. Um, with a larger company, and then in 2000, branched back out on my own, and at this point, uh, really focus on uh, being a digital concierge has been the the term we've been using, which is using the technology, which includes automation and overlay control systems, to simplify and streamline, and basically take the the common everyday acts that people go through because we're creatures of habit, and reducing it and refining it to. A couple of simple functions, and I'm I'm on the other side where you know I used to be a huge touch panel proponent. I'm a big fan of using these everyday devices. You know, the device that's in your pocket, um, the 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 smaller devices, the smaller cost devices, and leveraging that because that's what people are using. Yeah. And it's been really interesting, especially the past four years now. Um, 2010, we saw a huge shift with the iPad, but even before, with the iPhone, was going to shift, and it's been really amazing. I think Mark will probably agree. In the past five years, I don't think any of us really knew what a fundamental shift we were going to see in terms of switching from our idea of what a control system used to be to now what a control system is becoming and people's perceptions of it. And so I'm trying to stick on the front lines to make sure that uh, we're representing our side of the industry as, as best as possible while still keeping it fun and hip and cool. Isn't some of that, though, the, the drive from industries outside of the, the, of the AV industry, people like Samsung and, and Apple, who and, and who have developed these these platforms that have allowed us to control various things. I mean, when you when you get a new TV or a new uh, a new uh, uh, audio head, you know, the, the uh, switcher, you can go on, on the App Store and download an app and immediately control it. And so Apple has has maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally made automation and control via the iPhone or the iOS um, I, I, ubiquitous. Yeah, I mean, I think I wrote a piece on it uh, that uh, Steve Jobs almost killed my company and then he saved my company. Um, you know, I mean, when you sell 100 million devices in a quarter, you'd have to be a, a hair-lipped troll not to see <laughs> wow. you know, what, what is going to happen around you. And, and we've always had the feeling that our side of the industry, the AV industry, and, and the control industry, we've always been about almost 20 years behind the curve of where the, the rest of the tech industry was, where, you know, originally we had Sun Microsystems and uh, uh, Cray Supercomputer and all, the, all these huge hardware-based systems that were, you know, cranking out these giant monolith devices, and all of a sudden everything, you know, 20 years later is nimble and software-based and 
as ubiquitous as, you know, like I said, everything that you pick out of your pocket. We're getting that to that point now where we're seeing where the control systems are going. And absolutely, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for it personally. I think it was necessary in our industry because we were taking almost a backwards approach, which was we're doing it our way. We know better, but there's not that many of us. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of really, really smart guys that are selling hundreds of millions of these things. So, yeah, I'm hitching my wagon on to probably these guys may know a couple of things that I don't about how the market works and looking to adjust our structure and our business approach to that as opposed to constantly kind of, you know, blazing the trail and being the last guy standing at the Alamo. Well, and some of that also is also figuring out how the customer works. And that's one thing that Apple, if they do nothing else right, they do at least do that right. So, um, all right. <laughs> Steve, I am. Well, you know, I, I want to add something. To yeah, absolutely. From a commercial standpoint, which is our, our, one of the things that I think is <clears throat> used to be unique and is becoming more commonplace for independent programming companies like my own, is we are 100% commercial. We don't go anywhere near the residential market whatsoever. Uh, and we do that for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is we like projects to end at some point. Oh. But that little schneid inside joke for Rich aside, <laughs> what, what Rich is talking about has directly affected the commercial standpoint in a positive way in that once everybody was standing around in a boardroom holding an iPhone <clears throat> saying, wow, yours looks like mine, yours looks like mine, and then they would go to another boardroom in the same building and realize that the touch panels were operating completely differently, they started coming back with, why don't all of my control systems and all of my rooms and all of my buildings and all of the world look and act the same? Yep. Why are they all so different? My phone can do it. Why can't the control system? And that's been a really very positive thing for our business in terms of customers suddenly embracing standardized look, feel, functionality from room to room, building to building. Big, big change that a lot of people don't talk about when they think in terms of the phones and the, and the, the iPads and stuff. And you see that as a positive rather than a negative? Well, anytime I get called back to something I've already programmed is a positive to me. Um, I, and so, and more importantly, from a business standpoint, uh, and I, I'm certain Steve would, or most all of you would agree with this, from a business standpoint, if I'm doing a room for company A, and company A has, you know, 100 rooms throughout the country, and I'm just doing one room because they happen to be here in Southern California, if they come back and say, wow, that's cool, and we're doing this right now with a couple of companies in Southern California, where they go, hey, I like this. Can you do this in my office, not just here in Orange County, but can you do it in Irvine, in uh, L.A.? Sure. Can you do it in San Francisco? Sure. What about New York? Sure. We can absolutely start doing this. Now, what happens is we become on the front end of their systems, and they turn to us for all of their systems on a regular basis. And the one thing you don't see in our business very much, at least from a controlled programming standpoint, is recurring revenue. That's about as close as we get to it. Being able to now, they come back and say, hey, I've got three rooms I'm putting in, you know, um, in, in China. Uh, they look, the, the system's all the same, but I'm changing out a display. Can you program this so it looks like what we just did in Irvine? And that, to me, is, is gold. I'll do that all day long. <laughs> Mark, Mark here's, here's where the end user part of me comes in. So do you give them a, a discount for a, a multi-room <laughs> programming, or do you charge them the same amount? You know, if, if, if it's one room, it's, let's say it's 100 bucks. I know it's not. 
Um, or if it's a hundred rooms, it's a hundred bucks a room. Or do you give them a discount, saying, you know no. what, you, you you're doing a hundred rooms, it's ninety bucks a room. Yeah, you know, uh, the the one thing that the internet has done is it's reduced the number of stupid people in the world. <laughs> well, and yeah. So consequently, in the old days, you could do that. You could go to somebody and say, well, this room costs $2,500 to program your control system. Here's another room just like it. That should be $2,500 yeah. too. They're not, they don't fall for that. I'll try to make them fall for that because we find long term, the relationship with the customer uh, is more secure when they trust not just that we are programming their system, but that, they're, that we are looking out for their best interest long term as a partner. So we don't, I mean, we, there was a time you would do that. There was a time you used to get a lot of money to do, say, uh, web-based control mm -hmm. until everybody woke up one day and went, hey, isn't that just a save-as feature? Well, yeah, I guess <laughs> don't tell everybody. I was going to say, well, that, that's how Rich makes There goes that extra 1%. You um, just killed my version 1.1 <laughs> rollout to all my clients. Thanks. My kid isn't going to have to eat generic cereal tomorrow uh, because she's <laughs> kind of a save-as Oh, goodness. All right. Uh, so, so let me ask you guys this. All right. I, I, I readily admit I'm an end user, right? I am, I'm not the end user, but I am a end user. I'm a technology uh, manager at a, at a college, right? Uh, my end user is a, is a professor who has more degrees than I have, you know, letters in my last name. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm between you guys and, and, the, and the professor. So I am a version of a programmer. I am not certified in any way, shape, or form by anybody, but I understand enough to open up, you know, a simple uh, program and, and change out the DVD player. Uh, Steve, what are some of the different levels, I guess, or the different types of control programmers? I mean, there there are guys who are have certifications up one side and down the other. Um, our, our mutual friend, Harry Mead, he's got, I believe he's, he's both AMX and, and Crestron certified, you know, some platinum level or something weird. So what are the different levels we've got of people and, and what are different people's different competencies, I guess? Well, the I guess taking a, a rewind again back to uh, the old days, the manufacturers started off doing programming. So you know, programming was really, uh, based uh, uh, under their roof because in order to make their product work it needed to have programming because otherwise it didn't do anything you know and and then what what they did is they started to train and empower integrators to program their own systems because that was the only way that they could sell more is by training and offering um the knowledge for for um, their resellers to be able to program and modify and update uh, you know so each of the manufacturers has their own path to toward what they would consider certification and and certification means that you've shown the dedication and commitment to their product um, there are definitely plenty of people out there who don't have the certificate on the wall but still are very successful and 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 probably very skilled and, and possibly much more skilled than some of the people that do but the uh, the the idea of having certification um, ju just makes the makes you legitimate, and and from a from somebody in my perspective as an independent programmer, that that's something that we have to fall back on because there are people and you know, to to use the the uh, overused term trunk slammer. <laughs> there's plenty of those out there that are that that you know claim to know what they're doing but don't and. Um, you need to be able to to have that affiliation with with the manufacturer, um, and and things have evolved um, 
know, programming of different manufacturers is entirely different too. Um, Crestron has their language, AMX has their language, and and now there, there's others on the scene so, such as Extron. And, um, they all have their different ways of doing things, and and as we've started to see, there's been some evolution and migration to standard languages. Uh, AMX started to to do uh, Java, and uh, Crestron is is doing a, a version of of uh, C sharp. But mm-hmm. um, the I guess the the you know the important part is that that there there's a certain competency, and and in addition to that. Um, Knowing the programming language is just knowing what you want the system to do, and having that um, the 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 knowledge of AV and uh, the users. So it, it it really is a mixed bag in order to be successful at this. And David, you you guys you're a con, you're part of a consultant group. How much mm-hmm. knowledge do you think that you need as a consultant, or do you think the end users need when they start saying, you know what, David, I want this and this and this, and I want it to do this. Um, do you need when it comes to this, the different manufacturers, or do you just need a general overall knowledge of what automation can do? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's more the latter. If, if you have an idea of what it is you're trying to achieve, then you can pretty much be uh, brand agnostic. Uh, obviously, you've got to be specifying a system that can do what you think it needs to do. But beyond that, what's under the hood is, is less important as long as the end result is uh, what's desired, uh, what's, what's called for. So uh, I just want to take a step step back to, to what Steve was just talking mm-hmm. about. Um, I, I think what you have with, with AV control systems is, is uh, pro- programmers. You've got two things. You've got the programming side and then you've got the AV side, uh, where if we look back at the history, the original programming languages weren't written by programmers. They were written by the hardware engineers that were creating the control system processors. And, and so it was more an engineer-oriented uh, uh, approach. Uh, I think, you know, Crestron uh, kind of typifies that where, where you're not really, uh, with the original programming language or, or environment, you weren't really even programming. You were just kind of linking electrical symbols together to, to uh, achieve the desired outcome. Um, and many people on the on the integrator side, on the programmer side, many people that, that became control system programmers in our industry came, you know, basically, you know, who, who started programming? It was the guys who were loading the code, which was the technicians that, that, that knew how to use an, a laptop. Uh, and then they started not just loading the code that the programmer did, but started making their own changes, like you said, with, you know, changing out a DVD player. And then over time, they kind of fell into that role as programmer. But they don't have necessarily... Uh, a programming background in terms of understanding uh, functions and uh, object-oriented uh, code and, and arrays and linear algebra, you know, all, all the stuff that you would do uh, if you're going to, to school and getting a computer science degree or software engineering degree to, to really be a programmer. And I think just in the last couple of years, we, we've started to see that uh, trend move away from just Kind of being a glorified technician who's kind of fell into it, not to take away anything anything away from those people. They're, mm-hmm. they're very smart, capable people, and they, and they know the AV side, which is uh, a critical piece because your average programmer, although they, they know the theory and they know algorithms and stuff, they don't understand. They don't know what the system's supposed to do. And if you don't have that piece, which is kind of a long way of answering your, your original question, 
you, you have to uh, understand what the system's trying to do, and then you can write a, a specification as a consultant that outlines what's what's really important because the modern devices all now have XML interfaces and, mm -hmm. and anyone can, can program those or there's a module that, that can do a, a thousand different things. But again, you're, you're a, professor, a professor walking into a classroom, you're not going to present this guy with, with, with 100 pages on a touch panel. You're going to give him a handful of buttons and the critical part there is identifying what buttons need to be uh, present what, and what do those buttons need to do. And that's where uh, I think the consultant plays, plays a huge role in, in defining that functionality and that uh, basically the, the methodology in which users interact with the system and interface to it. And, and that's kind of our role. And then at that point, it doesn't really matter so much if it's AMX or Crestron or if it's a GUI system or if it's a standardized language or something proprietary or configurator, you know, as long as it does what it needs to do, that's, that's what we're really concerned about. Well, and yeah, as, as long as it, 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 it serves the purpose. Uh, Rich, both both David and, 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 uh, and Steve mentioned you know, the configurators and all this jazz. Uh, let's move on to an, another subject here real quick. There has been a, a shift, I guess, in the last probably three or four years uh, from my estimation that people have gotten away from the word programmer, right? Um, both AMX and, and Crestron now have um, configuration systems or configuration uh, programs where you can configure the systems. Uh, Extron makes makes you know makes plenty of hay out of the fact that you don't have to be a quote unquote programmer to to program or configure their system, and and, and they make a point of not even calling the, their their control systems uh, you know programmable. Um, is, is programming a bad word now? Is that, is that where we're at? We're at? And if so, why? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm actually trying to rename all of my bills <laughs> now, uh, because Mark just killed my whole save as income oh, stream. Thanks. <laughs> going to remortgage his house. And... Um, you know, it's interesting is, is that what what winds up happening, and, and and I think the other guys can attest to this, is that when a quote goes out, there was always the assumption that you know you buy the hardware, and there was always this unknown assumption that like oh, and the programming's free. It's like you know buy a stereo, get a programming. Um, and what would happen is that a lot of times I think the manufacturers were seeing, well, gosh, you know people sell these systems, we have all of our hardware. They put a quote, and at the very bottom, there's this ominous large number that says programming <laughs> right and it's just like this money sink you know of it that is in you know and if people ask about it you almost wonder if they go oh no don't worry about it you know don't worry about it dear we'll take care of it you know that's just the programming cost and i think that the concern was was perception in that by having it by having their hardware only being deployed by programmers, mm -hmm. whoever you want to call it, you know, the, the system integrator, the consultant, third-party programmer, whoever it happens to be, it creates kind of this isolation, which is we can only sell X because we are very limited in our stream. Maybe our dealers don't have programmers on staff. Maybe they're a little bit shied away from the concept of, well, what do you mean we can't walk in, hook this up, and be done with it, like Mark was saying, you know, you know why can't the job end? At that point. And I think programming got a bad rap for a couple of reasons. Like, you know, we were talking about before, you know, it was initially the hardware people that were 
processing it. It was the technician maybe who was deploying it. And there was bad systems out there. Mm -hmm. There were. I mean, you know, I can guarantee that any of the four of us who are on this podcast right now have been called in at one point or another to fix a job that we didn't originally deploy. And the hardware, whether it was AMX, Crestron, Extron, Savant, Control 4, whatever you call the hardware isn't inherently bad. What wound up happening is somewhere in between the hardware being installed and it being delivered to the end user, something happened in the perception of how the system would work. And either it could be mixed expectations or it could be that the person deploying it or the company deploying it maybe got in over their head. So over the years, you know, and there's been approaches by the manufacturers. I mean, for the past 10, 15 years, this is, this is not new, the whole configuration um, model. It's just this is the first time that I think the software and development tools are actually catching up that you could deploy smaller repeatable systems in more of a cookie cutter fashion mm -hmm. than you could with the programming and development tools that we had 10 or 15 years ago. I, and it's just, it's just an evolution of the tools. And I think with that, the industry and the, the industry manufacturers are saying, you know, we, we, we need to make ourselves more attractive and less of, again, this big black box of electronics. No, this is your overlay control system. This uses everything you need to get from point A to point B. It streamlines the process. It doesn't complicate the process. And when people come across the term programming, psychologically, I know that I run across it in, in residential. You know, that's the first thing is, oh, my gosh, this thing is really sophisticated and, and difficult. And, you know, the I shouldn't press it because I'm going to break it concept. Yeah. And I think that's where the push has come in with, with configuration and kind of getting away from that. Because, you know, when you think about it, you know, we, we do some sophisticated things with our control systems. There's, there's some sophisticated coders out there. <coughs> Excuse me. But I don't necessarily know if programming is always the best description of what we do. Because in a lot of instances, we are configuring. We are getting a signal from point A to point B. We're not... Uh, you know, what, what I tell people is that we, we didn't invent Microsoft Word necessarily. We're the people who wrote the really, really nice poetry that, that, you, that you use that program for. We, we made mm. it interesting, you know. We, we took that initial tool and then we actually made something and created something out of it that's unique and independent. And, and again, in residential, that's inherently yours and reflects your personality everything else. Commercial, it's a little bit different, which is, you know, makes this all work. You can replicate it over, you know, offices throughout the world. It's consistent, you know, and, and, and you can treat it as ubiquitously as a light touch. That's how, what I feel we do. You know, I didn't create the development tools. I took the development tools and I am able to add my experience and my skills to do something. And I think that's what we're starting to look at from a language standpoint, which is, you know, for me, I think it's artistry. You know, we are taking something from nothing and we're creating. Um, and, and sometimes it is programming, but sometimes that is just, you know, like we're saying, configuring. And, and to get these dealers, because, again, and, and we talked about it on, on the Crestron show, what, you know, what was it, a couple of months ago? Mm -hmm. You know, the goal is, is, hey, we want millions of people using this stuff. We don't want hundreds of thousands of people using it. And the only way that we can do that is to provide tools that allow both the novice user and the advanced user the ability to penetrate the market. And so I think it's it's really more of, um, you know, kind of sprucing up how we look as an industry to say, no, you know, we're not, we're not this 
you know, it's not like the, uh, the what is it, the, um, uh, you know, to, to be one, you have to know one. Mm, yep. <laughs> it's not like the Masons. <laughs> it's not like the Masons, exactly, is that, you know, we're trying to open up um, how this technology is leveraged and, again, catching up to the tech community. And, and that's really who we're looking at is how can we leverage all of the tech that's out there now? Um, and that I think there's a, Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the, just jumping back, you know, to, to why, why do programmers have a bad uh, reputation? It's because a lot of end users have gotten burned over the years. They pay uh, huge amounts of money for, for custom systems, and then a year goes by. You know, the project's done, a year goes by, they, they, they get a new DVD player, and they suddenly realize, oh, we don't have the source code. Mm-hmm. And now they've either got to go back to the original program, who now wants to charge them another $2,000 for, for custom code updates, just to load a new IR driver, or the... Hey, that, that save ass takes a lot of time. Not a- Amen, brother. <laughs> See, they're not available, or, or they're out of business, or whatever, and then now they've got to start from scratch with a new programmer, and pay them another $8,000 to redo the whole system. And, you know, people don't like that. People don't like having to pay, you know, what they feel they're paying twice for something. And, and obviously, you know, if Steve does the program originally and the second time they come to Mark, then, yeah, Mark is going to want to charge them again because he doesn't have, you know, he didn't make any money the first time around. So, and he's starting from scratch now. So I, I think, you know, we, we've, we've come a long way in that and dealing with, with source code turnover, but there's, there's, there's still issues. And that's, that's kind of almost a whole nother topic. I just wanted to uh, throw that out there is, is why people are kind of turned off uh, in many cases by the term programmer. And the other trend that uh, I think is really critical here is, again, if we look back 10, 15 years ago, even your basic, uh, conference room had a $10,000 plasma screen on the wall. It had all this stuff. And when you have a $40,000 room and you're paying $5,000 for programming, it's a relatively manageable uh, percentage of of the overall in terms of overhead for the system. When you now have um, a small conference room that has essentially the same setup, uh, but you've now got a $1,000 LCD screen on the wall and a wall plate and a little uh, Crestron or AMX or Extron uh, push button with a volume knob on the wall that also costs $1,100. Well, now you've got a $2,500 AV system. Well, how can you charge this? You can't charge the same $5,000 for the <laughs> programming. Although it's just, you know, even if it's the same number of hours and the same amount of work, uh, and now you're actually if you're asking it to do a lot more because you're tying into RoomView or Fusion or um, RMS or whatever. So you're doing more, and it's got the web interface and everything that you used to charge extra for. But you can't charge five thousand dollars for twenty to control a twenty-five hundred dollars system. The economics don't make sense. So you really need a lower-cost kind of configurator, whatever alternative solution for those lower-end rooms because it's it used to be again the only place you'd find a touch panel was in the boardroom, and the other rooms wouldn't get them. And now now again the expectation is that we have this unified platform, we've got consistency, we've got nice user interfaces across, everything's tied together, everything's managed centrally. So the expectation is there, the demand is there, but but the market won't pay the custom programming cost for it anymore. So Mark, is that what manufacturers, from the manufacturing side, you think is going on where they're seeing that, they're seeing the economics of it, or is it more the fact that they're trying to get people into uh, a touchy-feely relationship 
with the programming side. And so, you know what? We'll, we'll change the name of it. We'll, we'll call it configuration. We'll, we'll, we'll change the name of the CAPE to the, the Questron, uh, was it Questron service providers. They're trying to, to make programming a little more touchy-feely. I think they may, I think one of the problems or one of the challenges, I should say, that we, that I've seen with manufacturers through the years is while they try to introduce new product, um, they also have a tendency <clears throat> to try to uh, hit the ball that's in front of them. And so if they have a customer, a large customer that buys a lot of gear, I, I primarily from commercial experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that buys a lot of your equipment, and they they've uh, standardized on it throughout the world. Um, and that customer comes back and says, "Well, how come I can't do this? And how come I can't do that?" The there's a couple of answers to that, and a lot of times the manufacturers just say, "Oh, we'll do that for you. Let me let me go back to my bag of tricks." And then they come out at Infocom and introduce something that is whiz bang simple look at this you can take this software you can easily configure everything that you've got and you can load it and test it and troubleshoot it and voila you have a system how easy is this when the reality is no matter how many times they try to call it a configurating system or no matter how many times they try to make a software that seems to be all encompassing probably gonna get in trouble for this it's just never that simple and it's never that simple because the equipment that we're trying to control never stays consistent no, yeah. And so I wish I got paid on the number of times that we got phone calls from people saying, I tried to program my boardroom with this because I heard all I had to do was, you know, turn it on, plug it in, and uh, eat a Twinkie, and it works. <laughs> and all I found out was that nothing works, and I've gained five pounds. Can you come fix it for me? The, 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 the key to this has always been, and I, I, I suspect that David will probably agree with this even more so than, than Rich and Steve because we're in the business. The key to this has always been simply this. Programming, functionality, control of your system, control of your rooms, whether a small room, large room, multiple rooms, multi-purpose, doesn't matter, has to be at the forefront. It must be the first thing that's considered along with, okay, what do you want to do with the room? must give that consideration because if customers, and I, by customers, I talk in terms of integrators. So if the integrator is selling to a company and they are, they've got five rooms they're putting in and they say, well, we're going we're gonna to put these Samsungs up because we love those and we're going to get you this codec because that's what you like and oh, we're going to put this control system in there. And in the old days, it was, well, I have a touch panel and I have all that real estate. We should put every button we can on there. And what has happened now is we have different levels of users and different levels of, 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 of people using the system. Something that Dave brought up, David brought up earlier, which really addresses all of this, which is the day when you would walk in and you could just push a button to do whatever it is that's on the touch panel, you have to first figure out who is using that room. One of the first questions we ask our customers all the time is, is this a room that's going to be used by the same people all the time, or are you going to have people come in from different locations that are going to be using this without any instruction? And are we going to have a simple, what do you want to do, wizard type setup, or are you going to have um, basically um, you know, a full range of functionality because you have a tech person that's setting up the room every time this goes on? If you don't address these things, 
up front, then you are going to have people that are dissatisfied with their system. Dissatisfied people leads to complaints at manufacturers. Complaints at manufacturers lead to the suddenly wonderful, all-encompassing, self-configuring, do-it-yourself, eat-a-twinkie program. And it just doesn't work that way. I, I think if you're taking a little room and you're putting a little button panel in there and it's got a little software that you can load and test and do it, that's fine. If you're talking about a room that has got more than a couple of devices in there, if you don't address how that room is going to function in the first place, then self-configuring means nothing to anybody because all the rooms are being used differently. And I don't know if I went off on a little bit of a tangent. No, no, you're good. It, you Actually, I wanted to chime in on Mark's thing uh, they were talking about. And, and he brings up a great point and, and why, honestly, I'm glad that we're getting away from the programming term. I think as a control community, there's a bit of an identity crisis there because I can tell you that, you know, when I work sometimes going on a project and, you know, the first thought is, who's that? That's the quote-unquote programmer. I know more about every integrated system in that house than everybody else combined. Why? Because I'm the gateway. And I think that we sometimes, when the term programming is used, the only thought is, is, well, you're responsible for, you know, this touch panel and that button, not taking into account what Mark was just talking about, which is everybody's product keeps changing, and we're the gatekeepers to all of that knowledge. So we do a lot more than just program systems. We're, again, I use that term, digital concierge. Our job is to know everything about everything and be able to deploy it, like I said, instead of 150 buttons on a touch panel with an elegant solution to whoever's using that room. And so, uh, you know, I welcome it for that reason, because we do so much more than just, you know, walk around as code jockeys. I mean, that, that sometimes that's the easy part. The hard part is getting those devices to all play well together. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm sorry, I get a little heated about that because it's like I, we're more than just programmers. And so we need to embrace it ourselves and say, yeah, you know what? And, and part of it is finding a term that encompasses more and makes us more valuable because a programming bill, like you were saying, you know, a $5,000 bill for programming. Well, no, it's not a $5,000 bill for programming. It's an X amount of dollar bill for the accumulated knowledge to make this thing work for you. I do more than just sit at a laptop and type a, a couple of lines of code. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we are, you know, that guide to get you from point A to point B. And, and we're becoming more and more that You guys are becoming more and more that guy because you're talking to more than just a DVD player now. You're talking to everything. And, and you know, a couple of you guys went to, to Infocom 100 this past fall where one of the biggest things was, was, you know, whole entire building control. And you're right, Rich, you, know, you guys are more than... Than than just programmers or code jockeys. So, well, it's not just person mind. It's it's not just what we're talking to, but how we're talking to it. Yeah, which changes all the time. Um, if you if you watch uh, any time, uh, you know I, I I'm gonna get in trouble. I, I have an eight year old. Okay, and so I give him a tablet, and he downloads an app. You know that he likes, and uh, and all of a sudden they'll have an upgrade, and they'll. Change it, no, I'll do that up that download and that upgrade, and all of a sudden something that he liked before is now gone. And he's like, I don't understand. How come where did that go? That's an eight-year-old. Now take it to a company that has multiple rooms and multiple buildings throughout the world, and there's a firmware upgraded, a piece of hardware that mm -hmm. suddenly can't do something that happened before. And I promise you, they are going to sound every bit like an eight-year-old. Where is that feature? Where did it go? 
self-configuring systems are not, you can't call up a self-configuring system and say, hey, could you do me a favor and address this with a firmware upgrade? It's, <laughs> it's, it's just the nature of the beast for us. You need to be on the front end, which is why what David was mentioning earlier was so important, that he puts that level of functionality at the front end of his specification. I'd be willing to bet that, David, you probably have in your specs the qualifications required from the programmers, whether it's silver, gold, whatever that level of certification is. Absolutely. To, to make sure that whatever the world thinks that it sees out there in terms of self-configuring, download, easy, the reality is it's not, that's not the real world application. We are constantly working on systems uh, from the commercial standpoint. Again, uh, our specialty has always been the more complex the, the system, the better. We want multiple rooms, multi-purpose rooms. We're working on a system in uh, Vegas right now uh, that has, it's a 10-room divisible room system. Oh, wow. 10-room divisible room system. And there's like five of them, okay? So you want to go ahead and take a configurable software package? Go ahead. Well, no, I, I, think the, I, don't, think, I don't think even the manufacturer, I don't think anyone will tell you that that's the intention. No, I mean, no, David, David, you know, you, most, that, most that's what, David, that's, what's, that's what Crestron Studio was built for. Well, and, and I agree. Uh, this is this is me biting down on my hand as physically hard as possible. I'm sorry. Let's go back to what Mark Mark said though about it. Said it. I mean, he, he was talking about setting expectations and identifying the client's needs. I mean, that that's when you define which route you go down. Do you, is it going to be that you need? Because even the simplest hardware setup, and you know, what David was saying before, where the, the programming costs outweighs the hardware costs, and it, there are times when when you are doing some things, and, and that need may be there that the programming exceeds the program the the hardware cost, as long as the client identifies that that's what they want and they're willing to pay for. But you know the and the configure the configuring approach goes for when. The, the budget's a lot less as long as the expectations are are, are identified and the and they understand what the outcome is and where the limitations might be. And I, I need to jump in and add one little thing here, mm -hmm. which is what what David said is right. This, these self configuring systems are not designed to be the panacea. Okay, they're not designed to be the the be all to end all to everybody. Unfortunately, that's the way they're marketed. Mm -hmm. And when you walk through, when you walk through the Infocom trade show floor, and so you stand at a booth and you say, "Hey, what's this?" And they go, "Oh yeah, let me show you how easy this is going to be." Oh, you have, you have five buildings you're doing, and you've got fifty rooms, and and based on five similar types, let me show you how we can do that. <laughs> and then the person walks away. They go back to their facility. They work on a spec. The spec comes out that says, "I need all these rooms to be done for fifty bucks." Because I saw it at Infocom. And that's that's the where the problem began. And well, I, like, I like 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 I said, you know, it, you have a, a an arsenal of, of tools in your toolkit and you've gotta uh, apply them effectively to, to the right to the right kind of problems. You know, hammers are really good at, at, at hammering nails that you're, if you try to use it on a screw you're gonna screw yourself. So <laughs> nice um, nice play. <laughs> so you could save the hammer to, as a screw. So. To qualify, 
what I was saying earlier, you know, okay, so, so some marketing guy is saying, yeah, can, can, yes, you can, you can do this. It, it, it fits everything. But, you know, reality, we, we know that that's not the case. And, and these configurators have been around in, in one form or another for, for years now. And it's clear, you know, it, it, any of us on, on this call can, can look at, a, at one of those systems and quickly come up with, you know, 10 scenarios for, for even a standard room that's going to break their configurator because anything yep. that deviates from how it was set up, it's set up to do a, a specific thing in a specific way. Uh, and as Steve said, you know, if that's appropriate for a system, then great, then it works. If not, then not. So it, it, it's all of our jobs, uh, especially, you know, more so me now on the front end because until now, and I think uh, probably mo many consultants, if not most or all, you know, have kind of, ignored those configurators because it was clear that, that they didn't they, they weren't customizable it was a canned package and that's not what, what we're about we don't we can't add value um, so so it has to be a custom system the, the latest batch that have just come out you know in the last six months I, I think are just starting to be at the point where, where they're actually useful but again not useful for a 10 weighted visible room they're useful for these little meeting rooms be, be, as I said before as, as Steve mentioned you your facility doesn't just have one type of room. So you're, we're doing a whole new a new building for on, on a campus, and you've got uh, 10 cookie-cutter classrooms, you've got a whole bunch of little group study rooms, and then you've got a couple of you know big auditoriums or big lecture rooms or, or active learning spaces or reconfigurable multi-purpose rooms. So there's not necessarily one one-size-fits-all solution, but it, the important thing is that it's all got to work together, so and it's got to have that consistent look and feel. If you can do that with the configurators in some of those rooms, then great. If not, then then we're back to a custom, a full custom solution. But if we're already doing that for all those rooms, scaling down the system for the big room and having a, a consistent look and feel for those smaller rooms will be an incremental. Uh, should, should be, in my opinion, at least, an incremental upcharge. You're not you're not starting from from a huge you're not uh, starting from scratch. Ground up, yeah. You're not you're not starting from that. Yeah. Um, and, and one other thing that that uh, Steve Steve kind of hinted at that I just wanted to elaborate on a little bit. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily bad to have twenty five hundred dollars of equipment and five thousand dollars of programming. Uh, as as the technology advances and the equipment becomes more of a commodity, the whole industry is is moving towards more of a, a service model, and and programming obviously being a service started off that way, and um, I, I think that that it's, it's it's becoming in some respects easier and easier to justify that because everyone knows okay you're not you know you're, we're not making ten thousand dollars off of a twenty thousand dollar plasma screen when the thing costs eight hundred dollars and you can buy it at best buy for seven hundred and eighty dollars you know mm -hmm. we're not making any money off of that where's the money it's, it's in the knowledge and the expertise and setting it up and configuring it and and programming and controlling it so uh, i think there's there's and as we're tying into other systems okay now we're doing backnet lawn works and, and xml and we're databases and, and LDAP and cloud stuff, you know, we're, we're doing real, you know, real things that, that people are used to paying for. And, and I think some of those barriers are, are going to hopefully start to, 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 to fall away. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, that is, uh, David's going to have the last word there. So uh, we, we've reached our, our, our limit here. We've got a whole stack of things to talk about, though. So this is our pilot program of uh, the new Aviation show called A State of Control. With us, 
has been Mr. Steve Greenblatt. He is the president and founder, and anything else he wants to tell, uh, give any other title he wants to give himself, because he's the head cheese over at Control Concepts. Uh, tell folks how to get a hold of you and, and, and where to find you, sir. I can be found on Twitter at Steve Greenblatt, um, also on LinkedIn, same name, and uh, my website, controlconcepts.net. Very cool. Thank you, sir. Uh, also with us has been David Barnett, Senior Consultant at the Sexton Group. How can people get a hold of you, find you? Uh, are you on the Twitterverse and, and, or blogging or uh, anything like that? I don't, I don't Twitter. No, I, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can Twitter. look me up there, or you can get uh, my all my contact information is on uh, the company's website, the sextantgroup.com. T-H-E-S-E-X-T-A-N-T. G-R-O-U-P.com. com. All right. Uh, also is Mark Lavecchia, president of VMA Software Solutions. How can people get a hold of you, contact you, sir? Uh, best way to get a hold of us is just to go to our uh, uh, website, VMASoftwareSolutions.com. We don't uh, – if, if three people do go there, that will be three more than have been there in the last month. Our, our work is all referral uh, word of mouth stuff but uh, you go to that website and click on the info link and you can get a hold of us pronto excellent uh, also and last but not least uh my buddy uncle richie uh, rich forgoza forgoza design.com uh and uh give people the, the twitter and, and everything else sir uh the twitter is at r forgoza we might have to add uh, at uncle richie to that soon that would be good uh, <laughs> you can also uh follow us on the my website at forgosadesign.com and otherwise, when I'm writing and or speaking, uh, you can follow me at cepro.com, uh, where I uh, do some coverage there. And also, hopefully, uh, in the coming year, uh, while we're doing some more AV Week podcasts as well. Yay. So <laughs> uh, that and, and speaking of that, um, uh, my, my name is Tim Albright. If you'd like to do the Twitter thing with me, it's TD, Tim David Albright, uh, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. But more importantly for me, everybody here at, at AV Nation, go to avnation.tv. We have a LinkedIn thing, we have a Facebook thing, and, and Google Plus, and all that jazz. So, avnation.tv is where you'll find uh, this program, uh, uh, State of Control, as well as our weekly AV Week and, and the monthly ones that we do. Thank you guys for joining us, and thank you, uh, the listeners, for, for listening. Uh, that's all the time we have for a State of Control. Control.